Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Caine has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. Star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. Behave yourself. To understand... How he has made the mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in. Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our journey through the epic film career of Michael Cain, charting the dizzying highs and the unbelievable lows of this amazing life in the movies. Now, joining me for every episode on this trek is Stephen Black, Chief Architect and Pung Tapper for the Mallow News Twitter handle, uh, your one-stop shop for satire and material, I guess, that'll either make you wonder why you're on Twitter or it'll make you want to come back for more. How are you doing today? I'm fine after that wonderful introduction. I, I feel like a, a, a hundred foot tall. Oh, that's nice. Well, I like to make you feel important. I like to make you, you know, kind of fluff your feathers a little bit, as it were, you know? You can find this guy on at Mallow News online on Twitter. And also his recently published book, Mallow News. In every episode of this, we'll be working through a Michael Caine movie. Maybe more than one in some cases. We'll be assessing it. We'll be assessing him and his performance. I'm kind of generally trying to see what it tells us about how this I suppose, icon of modern cinema really came to be. So in our previous episode, we pretty much gathered up the life of Kane up to his big break in 63 going into 1964, which of course brings us to... Zulu. Dwarfing the mightiest. Towering over the greatest. Josephine Levine presents... These are the days and nights of fury and honor, of courage and cowardice that an entire century of empire making and filmmaking can never surpass. This is the day when 200 Zulu maidens and 200 Zulu warriors perform their incredible mass wedding dance. This is the day when a woman fights for her honor, among men fighting for their lives. You're all going to die!
Obviously, we're going to talk about Kane a lot in this movie. That's why we're here. But maybe just for anybody who, for some reason, hasn't seen Zulu, um, I'll just give a little quick synopsis. It's really quick, actually, because it's a pretty straightforward movie. Um, I think for anybody who grew up in the UK or Ireland, I mean, Zulu is just part of your bank holiday more than Christmas, I'd say, viewing. But uh, um, I thought it was more of a Christmas day, but wasn't that? Do you think so? I always It was always bank holiday for me. But if you say Christmas, that's fine. I, I To be honest... You see, I've seen it so often that it's sort of just blended into like, you know, kind of it could have been any day of the week I was watching it, you know, whenever it was on. Sa- classic Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon stuff for sure at one stage and our childhood Zulu would come on. Um, but it is based, of course, on real events. January 1879, British forces who were in modern day South Africa. Um, there was one particular battle at Isandlwana where a Zulu force completely overwhelmed uh, the British forces there. A small group of, not a small group, but a group of Zulus detached from the main force and headed for another British station of an outpost, really, in a place called Rourke's Drift. It essentially transforms itself into a battle between 150 British soldiers and somewhere between three and 4,000 Zulus. Um, the result of the battle, the British somehow fend them off. Um, that is the centrepiece of the movie, really, is the siege. But, like, there's loads of stuff in it. I mean, there's they bring in class stuff into it. Um, there's issues of empire. Why were the British troops there at all? What was the point of fighting these little potted battles in the middle of nowhere for what? Um, there was race issues, of course, was all, I suppose, when you're watching it now, you're thinking this was filmed in South Africa at the time. So there are issues around race. Um, there's also, you know, the, the dignity, I suppose, and the nobility of the Zulu nation itself as warriors and as people that comes out of the film very, very strongly. But all of this stuff, is wrapped up in what I would describe as just an absolute classic popcorn epic that I absolutely love. I love Kane in it. It's his first role, and he's kind of cast completely against type. I mean, up to here, he's known as a kind of cockney guy from TV and little bit parts in movies, and now he's being cast as an upper-class English officer with the accent and the whole nine yards, and I just think he's fantastic in it. I think the movie is fantastic. And I know that you disagree with at least 70% of what I've just said. Yeah, well, I mean, just to put things in context, you've seen this movie countless times. It's blended into the rich tapestry that is your life. Very uh, for me, for, for me, this I've watched it twice and both for this podcast. I've never really, I kind of see bits and pieces of it, but never long enough to kind of, you know, to get the sense of what the movie is, so I guess put into put it again. Talk about putting into context, you know, giving giving its cutting the movie some slack for when it was made, you know, what kind of movies like it had been up before. It, it very much follows in the, in the tradition of westerns, you know, or the template that westerns had for for siege movies. They could like uh, Fort Apache or Rio Bravo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can appreciate that, you know, you have your stereotypes, you've got them, you know, you've got the upper class or the the uptight uh, tw- rule uh, guy who doesn't want, want to break any rules, who ends up loosening up as part of the movie. You've got the reluctant hero, you've got the muscle, you've got the the guy who, who goes nuts for no apparent reason, um, the, the, the rascal with the heart of gold, that kind of thing. And it's fine from that perspective. But I really got very... And Kane is very good in it. He is excellent at it. Again, as you say, very against, very against, even very against type in, in terms of you know subsequent roles that I would have known him for. I'm very good in it. But I this I find this movie is a big old plate of meh. Oh. It's grand. No, I'd like. Do you know who you remind me of? No, I remember going 
to like like a whole day long of like classic movies and art movies um being shown in the place one time you you know you bought your ticket and it was like five or six movies was it the, was it the IFI it was in the IFI in Dublin, yeah. yeah. And one of the movies, I, th- I think actually the last movie they showed on the night was Casablanca. And the movie played out and I was walking out and there was guys just behind me and their conversation was about all these things that they'd noticed in the movies and how it was just so, like, you know, cliched. You know, it's just complete cliche, really. And you're kind of going, hang on a minute. Casablanca invented these cliches for use in, in, in later years. And I would argue in the same way, and I, I, I'm very aware that we're here to talk about Kane, but just for the movie, it's for the movie of Zulu itself. I think it took an awful lot of those things you mentioned around westerns, around using the landscape. The landscape it's shot so fantastically well by Cyanfield. It's fantastic. It looks great. It makes use of everything. Everything about it takes, if you want to call them cliches that were in existence up to that point, it takes them, and it just makes. Like your ultimate, like I said, popcorn epic. It is. It manages somehow, in my opinion, to skate over a hell of a lot of dubious stuff by just producing a movie. I mean, even I mean the battle scenes, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about. Some of them are desperate. Some of the some 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 of the dying is so bad, but like even that survives, you know, because it's just so well put together and the performances are so strong. And Kane is right at the center of that. Yeah, I, I'm not even saying it's cliched. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's it's very meh. It's very banal. It's fine. It doesn't, you know, it does what it needs to do eventually, you know, like, but there's nothing kind of, the, the scenery, it's shot on location and that, you know, it has a lot going from, from that perspective. But Christ, it's like fucking hell, okay. And no, it just meanders from sea to sea. The siege itself is just once you realize this is just going to be wave after wave of Zulus getting shot by getting shot by the British troops. You kind of go, this is really going to go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know what, we can go through lots of this stuff. I, uh, you know, through the medium of Kane. So where 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 do, you, where do you want to start with McCain in this one? Uh, start with his performance. I think he's really good in this. He's uh, playing against type insofar as the work that he'd done to date. He played a Cockney. Uh, which is not so very far from the truth. Uh, he would say it is in his in his uh, autobiography that obviously he was able to play the gamut of uh, social types due to his uh, extensive work in repertory theatre. I can't even say it. Repertory, 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 rep. Uh, which is obviously a load of bullshit because, uh, um, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, uh, he, well, we know he had I trouble think, with accents, didn't we? We know we are. We 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 he's had trouble with uh, Indian stroke Welsh accents, Irish accents. Yeah, he's lost he's lost roles at this stage. He's lost a role uh, due to his Irish a- a- accent, and uh, he, he's a, he ha- he managed to maintain a role in Dixon and Doc Green in a, in a cameo appearance by convincing the director that his uh, Indian accent sounded Welsh because Welsh accents and Indian accents sound exactly the same. Apparently, so. So he does. He keeps the uh, the British accent here. It's a bit Michael. It's a bit uh, bit Mick Jagger. <laughs> you know, you kind of expect him to start clapping his hands and doing the rooster at some stage. You know, it's very Jagger. It is very Jagger. Isn't there a story about him? Because um, he was nervous about doing the accent. Wasn't there a story about him? Like the first scene that the whole crew come out to watch, or something, something like that. And he something happens. His voice. So, yeah, he started. Yeah, I think he spends an awful lot of time vomiting before scenes because he's so nervous about them. <laughs> and he's doing his best to get to see the rushes to make sure that what he's doing is great. So he, he's. If he invested as much interest in in the me- mechanisms of this movie as he does in subsequent movies in his, his career, this we mm. would probably wouldn't have uh, a podcast. 
No, uh, you're absolutely he right. Not, he's there. He wants to see the rushes. He wants to get feedback. You know, feedback from the producers coming in. Not sure about this 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 guy Kane. He's a you know he's a bit of feet. Uh, doesn't know what to do with his hands. This sort of thing, and he's doing. He's changing his performance based on that, and making sure that he's doing the best that he can. He lies about uh, being able to ride a horse. The first scene of Kane in the movie. Here's my Kane fact. Mm-hmm. That I get out of the way before you kind of bewilder me with your knowledge. Here is uh, the first scene you see of Kane in uh, in the movie on a horse. Uh, is not actually Kane. It's an extra who looked a bit like him because Kane injured himself um, by falling off a horse. What he was oh due to take that scene. Oh dear. Oh dear. So there you go. There's your Kane fact. I, f- I just fact you That's right it. in the face. That's yeah. it. That's you it. facted. Yeah. You facted me in the face. Yeah, I think I come down. I think I can come back with a few more counter facts to fact you back. But uh, like, yeah. He so he apparently, if my memory is right, he he um whatever the first scene is that he. Uh, that he where he's speaking in this high class accent, the whole place is all watching him, and for some reason his his voice goes three octaves higher. Um, so this this is the nerves. But you're dead right. Like if he had invested as much, anytime he talks about this movie, it's like he's really conscious that this is it. You know, this is a real opportunity, and he does not want to screw it up. So he's taking every precaution he possibly can to the point. You know, he's discussing the character with Stanley Baker, who's who's the star of the movie, the producer. Um, it's his pet project, really, um, about how how this character, the character he plays is Bromhead. This, he's in charge of this, of this British force. But Baker's character, Chard, who's come to basically build a bridge, uh, is actually, he, he has seniority by a, by a space of a few months or something like that. So there's this whole kind of, you know, the engineer versus the, the, the career soldier, career officer, um, tension going on through the whole thing as well, which is played out very well by them. To be fair, Stanley Baker is brilliant. Like I mean, it's probably a thing. Production supervisor called Colin Leslie. They're looking at the early rushes, and they're looking at Kane, and they're all doubtful because he got this gig um, through an awful screen test. Why the screen test was so bad, we're not sure. But I'm assuming Kane has talked about it a little bit that he was just terrified. So he just made an, an arse of it, basically. He actually went for the, the role of Private Hook, who's kind of the malingerer, cockney sort of, um, you know, who turns into a hero halfway through the film. Um, yeah, he goes on Yeah, well, you know. You know he doesn't. Anyway. It's a real terrible, it's a really ter- terribly balanced uh, character arc for Hook. It's like, it's like, you know, prick, 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 does a good thing. Prick, prick, prick. You know, it's yeah, just yeah, there's no yeah. kind of you know there's no heart to go. That he's just just like he's uh, his attitude towards soldiers with PTSD is not is probably bordering on the harsh. I think he knocks one lad unconscious in order to deal with the the, the PTSD that he's showing. He's he's just a, a proper wanker. He's obviously he's, in this movie because there's a there's a huge historical uh, inaccuracy here. Oh, there's huge, huge. I, I mean, for for just when you mention Hook, there. I mean, his family. I mean, he the actual soldier Hook. Was a was a was a model soldier, uh, and his family had huge issues with 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 the film when it came out in sixty four. So just to go back, like he 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 was going in with the idea that he was he he was auditioning for this character Hook. He was told before he even auditioned that that's gone. So he was leaving when the director Cy Enfield um, noticed that he was very. I mean, Kane is really thin in this, and he just felt that he looked the part for the. The high class English officer. Um, he didn't care. You know, he was being in. Insofar as anyone knew who he was in England at that stage, he was being kind of cast as Cockneys all the time. Enfield didn't know him from Adam, so he just thought he looked the part. 
screenplay was awful. Screen test, I should say, was awful. Um, so he's they're looking at the rushes. They're, they're they're looking at Kane's performance. And the production supervisor, this guy Colin Leslie, he sends a letter back to London or Telegram or whatever way they did it that time. I am very glad to be able to tell you that in my opinion, and for the little he has done so far, Michael Caine as Bromhead is very good indeed. When he was cast for the part, I couldn't see it, but I think I was wrong. So he's got them on side during the movie uh, and it must do, you know, you can see it in the movie. I mean, I think, I think by when you put it all together, it's a very, it's a complete performance to be fair to him. It's some way to start. Like, I mean, some way to start your career really, isn't it? As I said, we're agreed. Michael Caine is very good in this movie. This is not a very good movie. <laughs> what other things did you like about it? What, what struck you about him in it? He's well, I think the, the big difference here, and obviously this is the first podcast that we're doing, he seems really invested in the role. He's interested in the outcome. This is his big break. So he's going to be giving it 100% whenever he's on screen. Um, so I think that's probably what we're, maybe what will end up being the difference between a good cane role and a bad cane role, you know, is how involved he is in the project being a success and how involved he, he is in his own performance being mm. good as well and not falling outside of the remit of what will end up, you know, being, I guess, his, his go-to techniques whenever he's on screen, you know? Yeah. Hit your, hit your marks, say your lines, uh, don't hang around. There's also, there's this whole thing around him. It was something we touched on in the first episode, maybe in relation to his dad more. So the fact that he decided to be an actor, his dad, in his dad's own words, kind of was wondering whether his son was a Nancy boy. Now, Kim was was not gay. However, just to clarify, just to clarify for a young for 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 a younger listener, uh, I'm guessing there may be one. Uh, Nancy <laughs> Boy does not Nancy Boy does not refer to uh, fans of the late uh, President Ronald Reagan's wife Nancy. I think no. that's a proper. That's more of a contemporary reference that they'll understand. That's yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah, something <laughs> from the early eighties, <laughs> mid eighties, right on point, right on message, right on point. He gets this role partly because of how he is perceived though isn't he well there's a certain effect if, if i suppose if he is uh an extra neighbor to effeminate you know mm. they occasionally, occasionally ask you know share bowls of sugar or what have you so yeah <laughs> it is par- it is partly because of that that he gets the role because he, ha- he they do you know he's with his uh with his strawberry blonde slash ginger hair uh he's he's thinness and he's uh he's he's lovely eyelashes um, yes. which I believe played a, played a part in getting the role. So yeah, there was the perception by the producers that he had a slightly effeminate nature to him, which of course then would proceed uh, to him being completely and utterly self-conscious about it because being a man of his era, he did, uh, and and not being a, a quote-unquote Nancy boy, didn't want to be construed as such on screen. So yeah, so like I think, as you say, we're at least in agreement that McCain is really good in this. So we're yes. going to give our mark. And that, is not a very, and that is not a very good film. Well, well, I'm going to pause you halfway through that. That that now we're going to give our mark again later on in terms of his performance in the role. But it's going to be good. But now that's just for a little bit, just about the movie itself, right? Um, I just say I I just really like it, right? What are the things that you do not like about it? I list the things that I do like about this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like the I like the naked the naked lust in the in the preacher's daughter at the the siege of Venice opening. <laughs> uh, why this was the decision of the play that 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 she would see that she is basically drooling as the warriors dance in front of her. I don't know. This doesn't pay off at any other stage in the movie because she's <laughs> she's packed off with her dad uh, yeah. uh, halfway through the movie. I like her dad because he reacts. 
exactly how I think I'd react in the event of impending slaughter. Yeah. Go and get pissed. And try to wreck <laughs> Go and get pissed and, and, and shout and tell everybody that they're going to die. You're all going to die. Yes. That, so yeah, I, I like that. What else did I like about it? Actually, you know uh, what crossed my mind about him actually? Because like, you know, he made a pretty bold prediction there. You're all going to die. And he's, you know, Reverend Witt, he's like the, basically the local parish priest or whatever. Like, he's going to have to go back there at some stage, to, you know, for service or for a prayer meeting. I would have thought the next prayer meeting was a little bit, I'd say he was a bit sheepish, was he, going back? I'd say he probably didn't come back. I'd say he probably found a new, I'd say that was the end of the line for him. I don't think he would have been welcome back, you know. Would have been very well, much... Well, I suppose he... he he wasn't. He wasn't of the Catholic faith, so he wasn't as if it was going to be a nice and easy, you know, parish move. No, no, no. It was just going to be a let's shuffle him along elsewhere. No. Anyway, go on, go on. What else do you are you, are you still on your likes or you on to your dislikes now? Maybe I should probably point out the things that I like are not good things about the movie. Uh, I'm getting I, that I like impression the, already. I like the I like the character of the surgeon who appears to be under the the, the misapprehension that he signed up for the Boy Scouts. <laughs> How? He's disgusted when, you know, wounded people and dying people are brought into his surgery and the chapel kind of go, why? Oh, damn your theatre of blood. It's like, Sham, you signed up for a fucking theatre of blood. What do you think you were going to do camping and getting fucking, you know, sewing badges? Doing Baba Job? Maybe dealing with, splint, dealing with splinters or fucking pull calf muscles or something. Oh, it's that overwrought scene where he's going, oh, damn you, your, your, your theatre of blood, your charnel house. And the, the young, fella, young fella sits up and goes, why? 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 And then dies. And I goes, don't ask me. I don't know. I always say, what did, what did he? The, of course, the one thing you do when a patient is like, what did, what, 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 what did he do? He was a paper hanger. Well, he's a dead paper hanger now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, so that's shall, the reality shall, of war. So should I call time with that and get the next patient in or are you just going to be doing this for the next 10 or 15 minutes because you do realise you're the only surgeon and the, <laughs> the few minutes here you spent, you know, pontificating. We've actually lost two other patients and some <laughs> other guy's now going to have to lose a leg. <laughs> Look, there's, it's without a doubt. And I mean, this, this, it gets, everything gets laid on with a, bit, with a heavy trowel in places. But it doesn't matter. This is where the performances come into it. The colour sergeant, Nigel Green, who will, be, who will be seen as a sidekick for Kane in other movies in the future. Brilliant. Jack Hawkins, Reverend Witt. Yeah, he plays it right up, but really good. Stanley Baker as Chad. Brilliant. Like, the performances. Glyn Edwards, known to me as Dave from the Winchester. Like, great performances all over the place. I mean, they they pull it out of parody, you know. It just... It just works. Do, and like this, the, uh, do they pull it out of parody, though? Because Jesus, there's all this emphasis on the, oh, we're Welsh, so we have a choir. That was my Indian. That was, <laughs> that that was my Indian accent, by the way. <laughs> yeah, there was. I mean, of course. And that's, oh, we need a tenor. We need a baritone. I thought, fucking lads, get your priorities right. You're about to be fucking speared to death for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. The, most, it, the thing I hate most about this movie, and I'm not in any way, you know, a staunch Republican or anything like that, but Jesus Christ, I felt my hand reach towards a patched attic that didn't exist looking for a, a pike that I no longer have. Thanks, Gardy. I think that I think I think there's actually a fundamental difference. I let me put it this way: What marks out of ten would you give Ben Hur? 
obviously this now we're going to have a fundamental disagreement over what I constitute being a good I'm not going to argue about Ben Hur but I'm just getting I'm trying to establish whether oh, you fundamentally like four, epics four, four out of ten four there, out we go. Ten. there we go so this you have a fundamental thing we won't go into this too deeply now but do you have a fun the problem with you and Zulu is that you fundamentally don't like these kind of movies in the first place anyway I love Siege I love this isn't the fucking epic first of all there's no kind of fucking <laughs> handing over of the, of, of the cup of Christ Hang and on a fucking ah, chariot races first. and three hours right of fucking heaving bosom of Liz Taylor right. or whoever. All right, hold on a second now. Hold on a second. That's a very narrow, that's a very narrow definition of an epic. And here's another thing, right? Peter Jackson himself, here's another double whammy factoid, right? The I think it's the Battle of Helm's Deep in one of those Lord of the Rings films. It is based pretty strongly on Zulu. So like when I say epic, I'm talking. I'm not talking about sword and sandals necessarily. I picked Ben Hur because that's probably. But you know, but you know why it's you know, based the epic that, of its era. Pe- yeah, but it's, it's because Peter Jackson saw that when he was younger. It's like yeah, that's the only reason it's an epic. It's not because as an adult he kind of go well. In order to research this, I need to go back through cellulite history, decades and decades. Always no, he doesn't. Years and find inspiration for good siege scenes. It's exactly, not, it's you're right. To grow up with it. He grew up with it. And not, Zulu. But not because it's good, but because it's something that he saw when he was younger. And that's no, influenced it's, him that way. I disagree. I think it's it's there because Zulu, to, to this guy, like you know, the likes of Peter Jackson clearly has a has a has a library of 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 of, of movie knowledge and has watched. You know, oh, it doesn't need to even go into it. He's clearly he's Peter Jackson for God's sake. So he's picking he's picking Zulu because it is a great siege. It is a great example of siege. And it, it's and it, a fine example of a siege movie. It's fine. It's not a great example. It's mm. like it, again, this is based on my right opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you could look at I I I respect your right to be wrong, completely. You're freaking wrong. By the way, do you know here's another thing, right? I forgot this little story just jumped into my head. Do you know that story about uh? No, this is one again, and this feeds directly into your theory about cane anecdotes. You know that one thing happens. Then another thing, and then I will never do that again. Type of you know that kind of template. So yeah, you took this out of me saying that that was how life worked. You have bad experiences in your life, and I was like, "Oh, you clearly don't know me." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think you like you know the more of these, the more of these Kane stories I read, even already I, I'm starting to I'm starting to agree with you. So obviously, being in South Africa raises questions. In the mid '60s, there's. Uh, the, the the British crew that arrive are warned, particularly for some reason, about uh, any relations with the uh, with with the native population. That if you do end up um, basically taken off at one of them, that you could be imprisoned, there could be a fine, or you could get whipped. Stanley Baker actually had a great line. He said, "Well, if if I am in coitus uh, with 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 one of the natives, uh, can you whip me while I'm in coitus? If you don't mind." Um, well, Kane spots uh, one of the one of one of the black laborers who are working on the work, working on the movie getting punched by an Afrikaans um, an African foreman, and vows that he will never work in South Africa again. I thought you were going back to the story about the fact oh, he, he's anecdote that because he grew up in a five story house at the top uh, at the top of a five story house, and mm-hmm. that the only Jacks is outdoors is that. Uh, he said that uh, the long having to make that long trip made his bowels very strong because he'd rather not, you know, having to, you know, make the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it prepared him for, you know, like the maybe the, the the dodgy food in South Africa. Yet he goes from that story within within a chapter. He's he's saying, you know, how much of his time there he spent on the jacks. <laughs> so he's not always the most reliable narrator, you know. 
<laughs> Very entertaining narrator, though, to be fair. Those books are great fun. Can we just say, before before we close it off there, I did leave out, again, uh, the, the ending of this, uh, this movie, which I could only... Uh, compare it to the end of a rugby match this bizarre kind of ah, yes. both sides come out and kind of cheer each other on it's like you know fair play lads well done uh mm-hmm. you know we're on each other's or what a load of old wank because <laughs> it's because it's, it's a complete confe- confection it, it's completely made up this never happened it's not you know it isn't literally you know like you're not doing a guard of honor for the lad that yeah. just slaughtered thousands of your of your people that you're kind of going do you know what? You know, I, I may, you know, I may have put the, uh, you know, tried to break her finger in the mall there, you know. But at the end of the day, we're all, we're, we're all, we're all warriors, and it was, yeah. it was a good match, wasn't it? We're, we're, we're all the banquet now, sticking toilet rolls up each other's arses and lighting the bottom of them and see who can. Oh, play, yeah, playing a game, <laughs> playing a game of soggy croissant with a fucking with a can of Heineken or whatever it is that they do. Yeah, like I mean, to you know, the, the closing scene you're talking about is, of course, the the British have survived. These wave upon wave upon wave of Zulu attacks. How did the they end- survive? With, how did they survive with their tactics and their guns? What a <laughs> that was. And their and their bags who of maize. Who would who would save us from uh, from the thousands of of these uh, poorly armed and poorly organized? And uh, I think if his, uh, the historical uh, account is essentially quite old and very young troops uh, being sent at you wave after wave. Who? What, I mean, how how could this possibly have happened? What a brave! What a brave victory! Kane and the lads are like, oh, not again. But they're all across the huge hill and they, they're singing. They're singing a tribute to fellow braves, to fellow warriors. And it's all, it's fantastic. Completely made up. But there is, you're right, there is a little bit of rugby teams clapping each other off the field, having just battered each other. And again, I wonder what the post-battle banquet was like, you know. Um, I'd say aw- Awkward. I mean the reality of what actually we'd like, happened. We'd like to, we, we, we'd like to we'd like to thank the British for such a great performance there. You know, very courageous. I mean, they were over they were overwhelmed. I just like to take, uh, bring Bob. Oh no, Bob's dead. No, this is <laughs> no Charlie's dead. Char- who's well? Uh, that's me done anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what actually happened at the end of the battle? Um, it was it's pretty awful. Um, like battles think- tend to be. Unlike well, this, this fucking movie shows you, which is occasionally led, you know, <laughs> fainting bloodlessly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, you have a bit of that, but I mean, okay, whatever, many, there's like, I think the, the conservative estimates of how many Zulus were killed is like only three or four hundred, but apparently the British, after the battle was over, went out and killed any wounded Zulus that were there in... Re, in Not the in, kindly in, British. In response to the slaughter at Isandwana that we, we mentioned at the top of the show, I mean, there was a lot of... 11... Victoria Crosses were given out at Rourke's Drift. And would you believe, would you believe that actually in Britain afterwards, there was some objections to the fact that 11 Victoria Crosses were given out. First of all, it was seen as a kind of a political move to try to distract people from the, from the complete catastrophe at Isandwana. But kind of people, people some some people felt that um, fellas hiding behind sandbags, uh, slaughtering Zulus with their rifles was not the bravest thing ever. Now, I... I'm not even going to go down that road, but I would say it's it's pretty freaking brave to stand there. Um, one, my final factoid. Can I have one more? It's an Irish one. Depends. An Irish one. Oh, well, oh, well sure. It's, uh-huh. it's late, late, show, late, late show father here. No, if it's something to do with us, sure, we love that. Obviously, the movie depicts it as being pretty much an entirely Welsh regiment that was at work, work strip. Not the case at all. They were very much in the minority. But Stanley Baker was Welsh and it was kind of a I think it was all part of a kind of tribute to that aspect of his heritage. But anyway, there was one Irish guy there. There was more than one Irish guy, but one particular guy. So yeah, Michael Minahan anyway, 
from Castlehaven in West Cork. Died and buried in a little place called Castletown's End, which is right at the bottom tip of West Cork. Um, he's right at the tip. Right at the tip. He had a, got a medal for, for his service at Rourke's Drift. It sold in 2016 for £84,000, which blows my mind. Like, that's a guts of €100,000. Um, it, but it just shows you the impact of that film, Zulu. Because, I mean, that Rourke's Drift, yes, it was a notable event just in terms of the sheer numbers they're talking about but it had no real sort of tactical value it didn't really impact in any way shape or form on, on the zulu wars or on on britain's conquest or otherwise of south africa um it had no impact but the fact that zulu the film like it played it played for something like 12 years in cinemas that's incredible that's, un- that's unbelievable considering the country that still goes on about you know uh it's 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 a <laughs> colonial past and a football uh World Cup that they won in 1966. I can't believe that it played for so long. You think it's surprising that they would say what, what, what year was this released in again? Was it 66? 64. 64. 64. So two years before the, the world. I say they brought it out again in 66. I fucking guarantee you that was re-released in 1966 <laughs> with a picture of Mick Cain just superimposed on Bobby Moore's uh, kiss, uh, yeah. kiss of the World Cup photo. Yeah. <laughs> this is all my World Cup knowledge that I have, by the way. You're, exhausted is, you've, 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 you've done your sports a little bit now. That's, that's it. You're done. Mark's out of Kane. What are we giving him for this? Okay, so we're marking Kane out of Kane. We're not marking the movie out of Kane yeah. for this. So I give him, I give him a healthy eight on this one. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I eight, and I would give him more, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm thinking forward and thinking there might be other roles where he'll get a nine, but it's eight heading for a nine for me. It is absolutely brilliant. It sets an incredibly high standard for what's yep. to follow and I don't think I don't think we're we're spoiling the plot to say that he doesn't always um he doesn't always hit his marks uh, let's let's just let's just say he's he's made it incredibly easy for him to uh, go limboing yeah he certainly has now next up it's another biggie it's like it's another sort of you know if you're asked okay what movies is Michael Caine in you're going to mention Zulu and you're also going to mention the Ipcris file his first outing as Harry Palmer uh the MI5 agent um I've watched this before. I'm looking forward to watching it again. My immediate memory of it is trippy. I, I, I'm not sure why I'm saying trippy. You were, high, you, you were high as balls watching it? Possibly. Possibly. But I'm going to find out. Have you ever seen it before? Nope, never seen it before. Good. Well, this is great. I mean, this is you know another one of his signature performances. It's Kane setting, as we say, the bar really high at the very beginning of his career. Go watch it. Come back to us. Next episode will be on the Ipcris file. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you'll find us at Mallow News and at Mark of Kane 2 is our Twitter I'm, handle. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing like some death metal band took Mark of Kane 1. I'd like to meet them and find out exactly what their deal was. Who comes? Who, who, who uses Mark of Kane? It could be some fucking uh, Jesus cult for all I know. Yeah, we need to. I, I wouldn't mind meeting them, lads. Yeah, so well, actually, no, sorry. You, I, I don't want to meet them, lads, actually. No, I don't. I'm. I'm happy enough where I am. So if you have any questions about the Ipcris file and you'd like your name read out uh, to a very small audience of people, uh, mm-hmm. hit us up on Twitter, DM us, DM the balls out of us. Exactly, exactly. We are here to help. Okay, Stephen, thank you very much. Michael, thank you very much. We will talk again soon. Ipcris file next. Bit of spying. It's going to be good. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. 
make sure to like and subscribe and maybe leave a comment only nice ones though mean comments will make Alfie cry and no one wants to see that the Marco Kane podcast is written researched and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley and edited by Andrew Foley music is composed by Stephen Black if you'd like to get in touch you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 and if you enjoyed this episode you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts the Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production what are you waiting for come on come on